Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan. Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be previewing a massive round four of the Guinness Six Nations, including catching up with record breaker Ben Youngs ahead of England's game against Ireland this weekend. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch. But just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. How's your week been, lads? Week or weekend? What do you want? Hit me with the exciting stuff. Well, I drove to West Wales, which I thought was five hours from Edinburgh. When I got in the car, I realised it was about nine. So <laughs> What are you doing? I know, I know. I know what you're thinking. Why? Well, four kids, locked up for two years. That's why. My point being, for the millions of you who would have watched me, Goody, I know you watched it, Andy Rowe. I know you absolutely love the URC. I was commentating on the big one, Scarlets versus... The Glasgow Warriors, and you talk about commitment to the cause. I'm a committed human being. I'm a committed man on all fronts, as a family man, as a podcaster, and also as a commentator for Premier Sports. I'm that committed that I left my house on Friday and I got back Sunday to commentate on Scarlet's Glasgow. That's how much I love Ruggers, and that's how much I'm committed to the cause. And it was all right for the first couple of hours. I had a few funny feelings in my bum as well on the way down, that which Goody can get into, which I weren't sure. I thought it was just a heated seat. thought something was happening. I thought too much cycling, wasn't sure. And I went and did my very best. And for those of you who've driven the long drive from Edinburgh to West Wales... Not many. Yeah, I'm sure you haven't. No, I'm sure you haven't. I'm sure the Range Rover has not graced the roads of countryside and black ice, is what I'm saying. On Saturday night, I said to Beck, I said, I'm driving home. He's coming home. She says, what do you mean? I says, I ain't staying in West Wales. I'm getting back in the car. I don't, I don't want to tell you what car it is, but it's got a B&M and a W in it. I'm comfortable. I'm driving back up the road and I'm doing the back rows of West Wales and going up past Snowdonia and all that. I don't know why it's taking me that way and across. And literally, my head's hanging out the window, Ace Ventura style. It's about minus four. And I've stopped off in Preston, which is only good for grasshoppers. And I've had to stay in a two-star travel lodge and I've folded through the door on Sunday about midday, absolutely bollocksed. So it's not all rock and roll. For those of you who follow me, and most of you are in Indonesia, it ain't rock and roll. I don't know who to speak to, but they need to put on some flights from Scotland to Wales again. I don't know why we're united on many fronts, wear masks longer than England. Oh, don't get political, Jim. Well, I'm not. It's a fact. It's a fact. Because when I got over to Scotland, I had to put my mask on. When I got to Wales, I had to put my mask on. But when I was driving through England, I didn't need to wear a mask. It was an interesting few days, cultured few days. I went through three countries and came away with nothing but I'm a hard worker and some cream. Well, we'll come on to the cream in a minute, Jim. But I'm kind of interested by, we all know that you are horrific at admin, right? But you understand when you're working, where you're working, yet you never plan ahead. So I'm trying to think, and I was just looking down at my phone, and I, I just put in Edinburgh to Thlethley in the old Google Maps, and it comes up as 8 hours and 15 minutes in the car. At what point do you think, do you know what's a hell of an idea? You could fly from Edinburgh to Heathrow and then drive across. You could fly from Edinburgh to Bristol's, as you did for the live show last week. Who's thinking 8 hours plus in a car is a good idea? Because... Then things go wrong, don't they, Jim? You phone me up and probably three hours into the journey on Friday, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, just about to go and pick the kids up from school, take them out for the afternoon. What are you doing? He's like, I'm three hours into a drive from Edinburgh down to Thnesley, but I'm going to stop off down the way and see Ravo's arm down near Gloucester. I was like, okay, cool. He said, um, good. have you ever had a pile? I said, you what? He said, have you ever had a pile? I said, uh, no, James, I haven't. Why? He said, well, 
I've got this grape hanging out my ass. <laughs> no, let's say my granddad. My granddad's got this grape hanging out his ass. Let's say that. Oh, yeah, just say your granddad, yeah. yeah. Um, I have had a mate that had piles before. A mate, yeah, a mate. Genuinely, uh, I'll name him, Ollie Horner, mate of mine. I'll, I'll name him. Went to school with him, and he was known as Ollie the Pile. <laughs> Ollie the Pile. Many, many years ago, he had piles, and he was telling us about it, and he got this cream called Anasol. Anasol, if you want to come and do a deal with the podcast, here's some free advertising. I said to Jim Hamilton, you need to get some Anasol on it, mate. Well, that's what you do. You put some soothing cream on it called Anasol, and off he went. He said, mate, I'm Jim Hamilton. I can't walk into any shop here, six foot eight, in heels, and say, I need some Anasol because I've got piles. So uh, he said, can you get it on Amazon? So I had a quick look on Amazon while I'm on the phone. I said, yes, you can, Jim. Ten minutes later, his pain was that bad. He sent me a picture of a packet of Anasol that he'd gone into a, a pharmacy to buy it from. So uh, I think the moral of the story is don't cycle before you drive. I don't know whether that is a thing <laughs> in medical literature. If I was to write a medical literature journal or piece or article, it would be titled Don't Cycle Before You Drive Because Your Granddad Might Get Piles. <laughs> but you're all right. Otherwise, Goody, you, you haven't had any, any health issues? Absolutely not, no. It's the calm before the storm this weekend for me. So we're obviously heading over to Dublin on Wednesday. We're in Belfast on Thursday. Friday, I've got a dinner that I'm speaking at. And then Saturday, I'm at Twickenham all day. So there's going to be copious amounts of Guinness and Blackcurrant drank this week. So this weekend was a quiet family time. I thought, I'm probably not going to see the kids and the missus for, from when I get on that plane Wednesday morning till Sunday. And actually, Sunday I'm doing BT Sports. I ain't going to see the kids for a week, probably. So I spent Friday, Saturday, Sunday with the family, with the children. I had a monster headache by Sunday night because the kids were screaming. I was so happy to see our nanny walk in the house this morning at 7 o'clock, as she did. And um, yeah, it was a quiet, quiet weekend. But the excitement is building, salivating for a Guinness and Blackcurrant over in Dublin on Wednesday. There you go, Goody salivating and Jim's ordered his suppositories for the Dublin and Belfast shows this week. They are both sold out. Why would I? It's my granddad. <laughs> for your granddad then. Both those are sold out and then we're in Manchester and Liverpool the week after and there are a few tickets left for those so make sure you check out eventbrite.co.uk and search for the rugby pod to get along to those. They'll be both epic nights. We'll come on to the Six Nations and Premiership shortly but it was announced over the past week that Doncaster and Ealing have failed to meet the minimum standards criteria for promotion. So there'll be no promotion to the Premiership this season. What do you guys make of that? All drama, again, isn't it? We like a bit of drama, not loads. But this is something that's been in the background for a while, hasn't it? And with the Premiership ring fencing, for whatever reason, because of COVID, because Saracens are back in, which is great to see, the question then looks to the Championship, doesn't it, about who's going to come up. And everything's been about Ealing. Ealing have got the budget, they've got the players... But as we know, the big one have come good this season. Donny, Donny, Donny. Hoi, hoi, hoi. The conversation then comes round. What happens if Doncaster or Ealing win the league? Do they get to come up? That question has been asked and absolutely kiboshed. And chatting to my mate Ben Gulliver, who played in the championship for 15 years, the coalface of rugby, right? Let's get it right here. Grossly underpaid. They're not looked after in terms of personal development, off the pitch, medical care, they're not. They're completely and grossly underfunded. So it's all about getting into the Prem. And that door has been closed. For whatever reason, and Goody, I know that you'll talk through the reasons why, the size of the stadium, funding in the background, which Ealing have. I'm not too sure about Donny, Donny, Donny. Hoi, hoi, hoi. But it's one of them things. I was happy to see it closed off just to settle the ship. But now, my point is, what is the point in playing in the championship then? Why would you do it? Yeah, I mean, I understand that. And I get, why would you play in the championship? Because you love playing rugby and, and you get to a level. I think everyone plays rugby to try and get to a level where they can max out their potential. So some players are only championship players, right? That's the level, that's their best level they can get to. Other players get picked up from the championship up to the premiership and all this stuff. Now, I'm a massive advocate of promotion and relegation. I think it needs to be in there. You look at the bottom of the league now, you've got, Worcester, bottom of the league again. Bath have just overtaken them, so they're in 12th. And then you've got Newcastle in 11th. And then you've got Bristol, who finished top of the Premiership last year, in 10th. But the bottom three, and it happens year in, year out, the jeopardy around the Premiership trapdoor and someone coming up and someone going down keeps those games exciting. I'm looking at some of Worcester's performances, and it's an old club of mine. They're playing on the Irish at the weekend. There was hardly anything in it. Like, question the desire of the players, because they know... 
do you know what? If we lose, does it really matter in terms of we ain't going up anywhere in the league? So, you know, that's where I think you end up with a load of dead rubber games. Now, from Ealing and Donny's point of view, you look at the RFU and the decision that's been made alongside Premier Rugby around the criteria for the stadium. And people have kind of jumped on this. It's The criteria for the stadium is you need over a 10,000-seat stadium to play in the Premiership to meet those regulations. And people are like, yeah, but Sale only gets 6,000 and so do other teams. Newcastle, they only get 7,000 some games. It's not the facts of how many people go and watch the clubs. It's the fact of health and safety, apparently, around if you get large crowds and how you could get 10,000 into a 5,000-seat stadium. So that's what it's kind of masqueraded as the reasoning behind it all around health and safety you know having the need and requirement for a 10,000 seat stadium in case 10,000 fans want to come so it's not necessarily through the other clubs not having as many fans watching their games but I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place here because I'm desperate for promotional relegation to be involved in the premiership because I think you need it to keep the competition interesting all the way through the flip side of it it's 50 million quid I reckon 50 million quid's worth of investment from Ealing and Doncaster and Cornish Pirates to A, get your stadium up to scratch, B, all the logistics around your club, professionalise absolutely everything, all the medical care that needs to go into it, the squad depth, the squad talent. The difference now, I'm not talking for one season, I'm talking as a project, I'm saying the disparity between a premiership club and what the championship are right now in terms of all the resources, all the logistics of everything, the difference is around 50 million quid. And who has got that sort of money just to go, there you go, there's 50 million quid, you know, spend it as you wish and, and make sure you stay in the premiership. Because the big story, obviously, is Exeter. They came from all the way up through the leagues, win the championship. They've now made a massive success of it. And I believe there should be a, a you know promotion and relegation. The issue for the other clubs is you look at a London Welsh, you look at a Richmond, you look at Rotherham, another one. Because of that disparity and because an owner puts as much as he can in, and then it all gets hoiked out when they realise that actually we haven't got enough funds. We, you know, it's going to take a hell of a lot more to even be competitive. Then that club ends up going into liquidation, falls all the way down the leagues, and has to fight its way all the way back up. So the system is the issue. You've got to grow the game, and you've got to have some pathway, I think. But it's just a really tough one because what the pandemic has also highlighted is the big differences between and the disparity between Premiership and, and Championship clubs and. Lo and behold, the RFU who are making this decision and the RFU who run the leagues have cut the funding to the championship clubs as well, so they're making it even harder for them. I think there needs to be promotion and relegation. How you go around it is very difficult now because of the disparity between even Worcester, who are bottom the league, look at their infrastructure, look what they've got. They've got British and Irish Lions, they've got a fantastic stadium, fantastic facilities to use in the week. Compare that to Ealing or Doncaster, where they're at now. It's poles apart, isn't it? And and that's the difficulty whereby we want to see this promotion relegation, but at the minute, it's just not feasible. I want to just rephrase the point around why would you play in the championship? And Goody touched on it there because it's obviously a fantastic competition to get to that level is is extremely good. My point being, if you are a commercial sponsor, why would you invest? The road to where? The road to nowhere now. If you're a Green King, which was the front and main sponsor for the championship, the games aren't on TV now either. That's what I mean, and Goody touched on it there. It's it's almost sad. Most of us just bury our heads in the sand around it. But I can tell you this from having mates who've played all their career, all their lives in the Championship and playing a season at Nottingham myself, and we've seen a lot of the players come through the Championship as well. It is the absolute coalface. They are the lads that are grafting, because most of them can't work. And I know there's talk around the Cornish Pirates going part-time now, because if, if you're getting paid 25 grand, 30 grand... You're on close to minimum salary to be a professional rugby player. So you've got to try and balance that out with work and study and all these different things that come through. So, I mean, again, I'm going to say I said it a few times during the pandemic. We're obviously through that now. Who knows? Well, let's have a chat now about the return of the Six Nations this weekend. Jim, you guys worried about Scotland's trip to Rome at all? It's the wooden spoon decider, James. Welcome back. I always thought the wooden spoon was like losing all your games. But is it actually finishing bottom, is it? Just bottom. Yeah, you've got it. You've won it a few times, haven't you, son? I wouldn't say I'm that worried. No, and I feel horrible saying that. But from an Italian perspective, these are their easiest two games. Easiest in terms of easier. They're not easy games, are they? But when Italy would have looked at their fixtures, 
it would have been about the last two games. Week off, as we know that they've just had. Benetton had a good performance against Leinster. <laughs> Why are you being horrible? I'm not. I just, I just want to put them on the back foot a little bit. I'm only being sarcastic. As we know, they had 60, 70 round up to 100 points put on them at the weekend at home. <laughs> but from Italian perspective, Scotland and Wales, who you could perceive as two of the weaker teams when you look at France and Ireland, you throw England into the mix, but we know that they beat them comfortably. So... This is the thing, we've spoken about it in the last couple of weeks. The worry is now, not that Italy will beat Scotland, but the fact that people are talking about us in that vein. Are you worried about Italy? And we laugh about it and we joke about it, but from an Italian standpoint, you're throwing everything into this, aren't you? Because you're looking at the lay of the land and historically, I know the Italian team's changed, uh, so has the Scotland team, obviously, but in years gone by where Italy could potentially beat Scotland on their day. And did, when Jim Hamilton played. They also beat France and South Africa on their day as well, Andrew. So I'm looking at it and I can't see how Italy are going to win. But the big talking point in Scotland is, does Finn Russell start? Something that we went through last week. You look at the squad now. Adam Hastings has been called up. The Gloucester 10. Ross Thompson, the young lad at Glasgow. Why have they been called up now? What are you saying, James? I don't know. Blair Kinghorn carved up for Edinburgh on Friday night against Connacht. You know, they put 50-odd points on Connacht, who went 8-0 up at the beginning of the game in the URC. I wouldn't drop Finn. That isn't because Finn's a mate. I just don't think Scotland are in a position to do that. They've got to find a way, and again, I'm going over old ground here, but for the 1 million new listeners that we've probably got this week, you know, we did speak about it, didn't we, and said, can you see them putting him on the bench and starting a Blair Kinghorn? The narrative around Blair Kinghorn's been growing, plays well on Friday, like I just said. But it's Italy, but it's also an Italian team that probably think this is their best chance of getting a win. So can you move a Finn Russell out of that? I don't think you can. I don't think we're in a position as a country to do that. Uh, Johnny Gray's back in the mix. He's going to add, obviously, what he's going to add in terms of experience and physicality and all these things. How does it look for Scotland? It obviously isn't the game of the weekend, as we know. But it's a must-win game. And by me saying that line makes it sound like Scotland have gone back. And we'll assess the Six Nations after, I'm sure, because we've got Ireland the week after. But I'd like to think that we'll win and we'll win comfortably. Yeah, I agree. I think they will. I think when you look at it, and people are jumping on Scotland a little bit for different reasons. Now, you beat England in the first game. There's your cup final. This is Italy's cup final, the equivalent of your cup final against England this weekend. Against Wales... Could have, should have won it, right? Finn Russell makes the error, gets Simbind. Probably still should have won it, but you haven't won there for 20 years in the Six Nations, have you? So actually to lose that game by a point or whatever it was, wasn't a surprise. France, they were just a different gravy on the day, weren't they? So it's not that, I don't think Scotland are that far off and I'm being nice now and genuine around it. Like I would love to sit here and go, Italy got a major chance of beating Scotland. They haven't, I don't think. Scotland have got way too much quality throughout the squad. You know, when you look at it on paper, but... There's that little bit of doubt. And it's all about Gregor this weekend around what he does with Finn. Because people look at what Ireland did and they put Sexton on the bench, but he was coming back for an injury. So it's very different. There's obviously the historical stuff around Gregor and Finn and how he had too many beers one night and he, he didn't pick him. And then obviously Finn worked his way back into the team and had great success. You know, there's a positive vibe about it. If you drop Finn now, you go back to square one with it. So you have a stern word with Finn and say, listen, you haven't been tip top in all parts of your game. You've had a bit of a sort of slump in two or three bits of discipline. You know, your work rate and all that stuff. Go back to being Finn Russell and you'll win by 40 points. And that's generally what I think. He's got to go and back his man now. And people will call for Adam Hastings to be involved. Get him on the bench and give him 20 minutes. But, you know, you've got to give Finn the keys and say, listen, get yourself back on the horse. Let's put a convincing performance in. Because all of a sudden, if you've got Finn on the bench or you drop Finn, it gets a bit tougher. Uh, Scotland because their main man isn't playing and they're looking around it's Blair Kinghorn at 10 who's a good player or Adam Hastings who hasn't been involved in any training up to this point you start thinking as a player shit you know whose voice we listen to then another voice joins in Hoggy tries to run it from the back or you know starts calling plays or whatever you just don't know the balance of the team so if you're Gregor Townsend you put 40 on Italy by backing Finn uh, being confident and it shouldn't ever be a question around can Italy win because Scotland should have way too much quality Let's look at Friday night then. Principality Stadium. Can you see Wales upsetting France? Have they got any chance here? Yes. In reality, it's, it's two teams. I like what Sean Edwards has said already. 
you know, he's come out, he's done an interview about, it's always going to be about Sean Edwards, right, going back to Wales, you know, the impact he's had on France, but he's like, Wales are champions, so we're going into the den, a fucking champion team in Six Nations right now, so that's the toughest game. I, I can't wait to watch it. Friday night, the atmosphere will be absolutely buzzing, and do you know what, Wales off the back of their second half performance against England a couple of weeks ago, where, you know, if they can start well, they've definitely got a chance. You know, you hope to catch the, the French cold. You're always kind of expecting... And it's probably gone now, but the Frenchness to come out at some point where there is a cock-up, there is something that goes wrong for them and how do they react <laughs> off it? I love that. But historically, it's always happened at some point, hasn't it? You know, it might not happen in the most important game, but at some point, you know, the French have got that in them. I can't believe they've got it out of their system completely because the bottom line is they're still French, right? And they will have that ability to be the best team in the world, but also to be a team that can make calamitous errors. So... There is a chance for Wales. They're at home. The atmosphere is going to be unbelievable Friday night. But can I see it happening? If France rock up and they're anywhere near what they were in Scotland in terms of how clinical they were, yeah, they got the rub of the green with the odd thing and the bounce of the ball. But they were just on a different planet at times, weren't they? And Scotland created chances. So Wales will be able to create chances against them. But you know, with Sean's defence now and how physical they are, the size of some of those boys is where Wales might really come a cropper and England couldn't impose any physicality on them, really. But yeah, there's a chance and I hope that Wales do beat them because, you know, that makes the the Six Nations even more exciting again the last weekend for any team, really. I think when I look at Wales, again, I've obviously changed completely on everything that I've said, having spent some time with Scott Quinnell and watching them beat Scotland, but also how well they played against England in that second half. And I think that that will be the thing is they need to start, you need to start quick against France. And I think with it, the emotion, I mean, how class is it going to be? We've spoken before about the Principality Stadium, best atmosphere, best stadium in the world, Friday night, under the lights. It almost seems like from a Welsh perspective, if the, there was a time to beat France and to change the course of the direction of your team, a team like Sean Edwards said, are the champions, are the fucking champions of the Six Nations at the minute. But they're not that far away and they're not playing as well as they could or they should or people expect, but they're not that far away. If it wasn't for a decision around the line out and we don't know how that game would have unfolded and we've gone through it loads around some of the decisions that went against them at Twickenham, they could have beaten England and they beat Scotland and we're one of the best teams in the world as well. But I think from a, a Welsh perspective, the way that Wales play and the way that France play suit the way that Wales want to play. Defence is what I'm saying. Defence and slowing the ball down at the breakdown. Now, they're one of the best teams. I go back two years, the World Cup against South Africa. Similar profile in terms of the size of human beings. That is how Wales want to play. They want it to be Route 1 China. Because for whatever reason, they're built like that to be able to deal with it. So, I think they've got a chance, like Goody says. I'm not waiting for a red card, which we've seen before. Howes against Scotland. Vaha Mahina at the World Cup as well. You're just waiting for something, aren't you? That's what it does feel like. And I think Friday night under the lights, I can't wait. I think it adds a different perspective to the tournament. And again, like Goody said, it's the crossroads now for the tournament to see who's going to win it. And this weekend is going to open up the, the doors to France, England and Ireland, Wales. And obviously the wooden spoon and all that bollocks. <laughs> that about. Well, let's talk about that England-Ireland match. The big one at Twickenham. Where's this one going to be won and lost? England need to be better than they've been for as long as I can remember. They need to be at the level in which they beat New Zealand at, at the World Cup, where they absolutely slippered them. We need to see something that we've not seen from this Six Nations in terms of physicality, in terms of gain line, defensively dealing with the Ireland forwards. They've got to be at their very best. And th what I'm excited about this game, and again, without trying to steal the headline that everyone's going to say, is around Marcus Smith. Now, it's been an easyish build-up. I know England lost against Scotland in, in the first game, but it was a closest game. We were ahead when Marcus Smith got substituted, just saying. There you go. And you didn't you say that? Didn't you tell us? <laughs> didn't you tell us? I did, James. I did. <laughs> but you look now, and I say it's been a bit bitty because we've had a couple of weeks off. We're going into the two biggest games of... England's Six Nations because it's the two best teams. So everything's building up to these last couple of weeks. And Eddie Jones knows that. And my point being, I can't wait to see Marcus Smith, whether or not he can play at this level against an Ireland team where 
it's going to be really difficult, right, in terms of the speed of ball, in terms of the physicality, in terms of forwards well, and backs running down his channel and everything that he's going to deal with, and he's going to be up against Sexton. It's the master and the apprentice scenario coming out of it. And even with the way that England have played, I think they've got a chance. I think it's going to be a lot, lot closer. I know Eddie Jones has said that Ireland are Miles' favourites. I just think that England have got a real a real shot, and it's obviously at Twickenham as well. Yeah, I think the thing that you mentioned there about Marcus Smith, completely agree. Can't wait to see how he deals with everything that's put in front of him. He has dealt pretty well with something similar when we played South Africa because we shouldn't really have had a chance of beating South Africa the way our scrum was and how dominant they should have been. But he found it within himself, you know, to to get the ball by the horns and go after it and start attacking towards the end and then kicks the penalty to win it. So, yeah, I mean, listen, Ireland are, you know, to, to pick up a like an Eddie Jones analogy, he goes, yeah, mate, they're a well-oiled machine. Like, they really are. The way they play, you know, they're handling their interaction around... You know, the pod system that they play, balls out the back to Sexton, then the lines that the backs run off that. They've got power now as well. You know, Kayla Miel Doris, we absolutely love him on this podcast. The back row selection is really interesting. Van der Fleer's on fire. You know, there's there's so much quality in that Ireland squad now. And you go back two or three years, we used to physically dominate Ireland. And all of a sudden, last year in the Six Nations, it flipped. They absolutely physically dominated us. And you look at what they've done since then as well, yeah, they are really well oiled machine. Now you look at England, England are a decent machine, but our oil hasn't been put in properly at the minute. I think that's Eddie Jones's attacking problems. So there's a bit of a drip feed of the oil going in, but it's it's just not lubricating the whole team enough in terms of the way Eddie Jones is attack, wanting us to attack. So, But we have got big players, big performances, and the Twickenham factor is massive. You know, there's a big question around Dombrandt and his COVID. So, you know, how much training does he get within the team this week? Uh, probably very little. So you probably start Simmons. How big of a blow is Dombrandt? Because I know you guys have got plenty at number eight, but like he's a highly rated player. Yeah, he, listen, Dombrandt was outstanding against Wales, wasn't he? And probably England's, alongside Marrow, England's best forward. And, and Ellis Gens played pretty well. I think Sam Simmons is there. If Dombrandt's not fit or, you know, he's not done enough training reps with the boys, so he's on the bench, it's, that's not a massive issue. You could lose bigger players. So if Marrow was out, that would be a massive loss to us. You know, if Carl Sinclair was out, I think that would be a big loss to us. You know, obviously we've lost Cowan Dickey, but Jamie George will come in and start. So there's a hell of a lot of experience there. It'd be interesting to see which way Eddie Jones goes with the selection of second row and back row. I know Underhill's been brought into the squad. I don't know what it is with Eddie Jones. I've lined Sam Underhill up for a Q&A at Twickenham on Saturday. And then he's picked him. Same with Manu last week. Just don't get him injured or don't pick him, Eddie, because he must know where my Q&As are and who I'm asking to come to them because then he just picks them for the squad and fucks me over with my, my selections. So, yeah, listen, Ireland are... You look at them now and it, is it the classic Ireland peaking between the World Cups and then... Actually, let's not even talk about World Cup. Let's talk about the here and now. Ireland, like Eddie Jones says, look a proper, complete outfit as it stands. And they've got some selection issues. You know, who do they pick? And their selection issues are very different to a lot of teams. They've got so many players on great form. You know, look at the centres. Are they going to go Aki and Ringrose? Are they going to go Henshaw? Yeah, big decisions for them. James Lowe's back in the mix, but Mac Hansen's gone well. Mike Lowry. Mike Lowry. You know, so they've got issues with who do we pick because everyone's going well and that's the sign of a team that is playing exceptionally well and is comfortable in their own skin they've got a couple of injuries Porter is out injured which I think is pretty big but then you've got Kean Healy probably to start or Kilcoyne from Munster but Keller has a big one for me at hooker him being out injured he's a fantastic player so yeah Sheehan I think will start but yes it's a hell of a ding dong isn't it you could make a case for both teams to win it but on form you, you have to say Ireland are favourites Well, we can have a chat now with a man who'll be involved in that game, man who broke Jason Leonard's test cap record in the last round. England's scrum half, Ben Youngs, joins us now. How are you, mate? Youngsy, we had some kind words to say about you last week. Not that you would have listened to it, but it was going viral on social about our interactions of you as a young lad and me dealing with some of your fluid and liquid when you're a 16, (laughs) 17-year-old lad. You've come a long way. I saw it, Jim. The bus back, mate, from, uh, yes... Thank you. So those memories, and, and for, for people that listened last week, Jim told the story of Jim trying to throw the, the bag of sick out. Who was wearing the sick? Who wore it all? Who wore the most on that bus that day? Well, once I swear, Jim, Jimbo, very kindly, was just checking if, if the young lad was all right. So he came over, and <laughs> I'd been sick. And then uh, he opened up the, uh, 
the, the, the roof bit of the bus and you went to lob it, of course, we we're going down the, the motorway. So that just ended up turning straight back on top of your gym, didn't it? But <laughs> the damages on that bus was awful. And then when we went, when we arrived back at the uh, stadium, we had to get off the bus. But as you stepped off, I think you remember those polos that had to be completely ripped off. And then we could then we could proceed for the rest of the evening. <laughs> Young, I look at the foundations that it's put in. Have who, who you've become today? Without that experience, man, I wouldn't be here now. I know that much. I wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, amazing, mate. It's great to speak to you. And um, obviously, we've we've been very um, positive around everything that you've done in the game and over the last few weeks. Breaking the record last week, they're coming off the bench. I was disappointed you didn't start. I want you to get a couple of standing ovations. One for when you ran out. I know you did run out just after Carl Sinclair, but talk me through the emotions because it's been a really tough time for you as a family as well, but what an amazing achievement. Cheers, Goody. Yeah, no, it has, mate. And um, it, it was a bit surreal. Like, I think, you know, I never went out to like go beat a record as such. Like you, you kind of get your first cap and then, I don't know, when I got close to 50, you kind of think, oh, okay, it's, it's only a few games away. I, 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 I might get there. You get there and then similar with, with the 100th, I got quite close to it and I was like, okay, right, that's achievable. I really want to do that now. Again, with this one, mate, like I kind of come into the Six Nations and then you get close and you think, okay, I'm, uh, it's within touching distance and, I, and now, I, now I want to do it, but it's not something I've ever set out to do. So, but to get the moment was, was, was awesome. I think given, you know, the, the hundredth cap for me was, it was a real big moment, but we ran out to an empty stadium in Italy, <laughs> um, you know, no family, no one. And it was kind of, I just, you know, I didn't even care about having no fans. It's just the fact that I just couldn't have like my family there. You know, this time around, just being able to full stadium at Twickenham uh, and get that moment and knowing that everyone's in the crowd that, that I wanted to be, you know, have all those people there that I needed, you know, that I wanted that have supported me since day dot. That was special, mate. That was special. I, I enjoyed that. Enjoyed it, certainly. Yeah, it looked class. Young Z, not that we want to look too far back because you've got a game in front of you and obviously you've got a few more caps, I'm sure, to add and, and hopefully a World Cup going forward. But just looking back on the snapshot of your career, when it's all said and done, it hasn't all been glory, has it? You started at Leicester when we were successful back in the day. You're a young lad coming through, carving up. You've been on British and Irish Lions tours, but you've also seen Leicester struggle. You've been a part of an England team that have won things and struggled as well. How important are these things into the mix that kind of shape who you are and shape the career that you've had so far? Definitely, Jimbo. Like it hasn't, it's never, never been plain sailing. And, you know, it makes you value the times that are good. And it kind of shapes you when the times are tough. It kind of shapes you to be a bit more robust, a bit more resilient as a person, as a player. You know, I, I remember when, obviously, my, my first, when we went to, uh, where did we go to? Which, I remember, was it, I didn't remember, did I remember you, Goody, and you're watching uh, 24 all the time on your laptop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a bag of Revels. Eminem, <laughs> uh, <laughs> M&M's, get it right. <laughs> but like, that, you know, that Leicester, for, for, from when I first started, obviously, I was really fortunate to be around amazing players that have played for England, achieved loads and were used to winning. And that kind of, as a youngster, you're thrown into that environment. You kind of see that shapes you alone because you see what these players are doing. They're used to winning and this standard and this commitment at winning trophies and they should win trophies. And, and as a youngster, you're just absorbing all this like edge to training, this like relentless drive to be successful. And I was just a youngster, just sponging on all that. And then kind of then when that period at Leicester then, then, then finished, it kind of, that those bits kind of don't go though the bits you fall back on like you understand that the value of hard work you understand the value of like being resilient and all that and it's but it but it's tough and um yeah like you said it hasn't all been plain sailing and you know there was a period at leicester certainly recently where you know we we, we could have easily got relegated we could have easily gone down you know and i'd have been a part of that and uh, that was tough because it's a club that you love dearly you're watching it sort of spiral a little bit getting going down 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 and it, you're almost part of the reason for its demise and you know playing scrum half you are a you, you're a big key in that clock and you're not getting results you're not performing you're not where you want to be and that was tough but i feel like you know come through the other side of the club certainly and internationally again we've had moments you know 2015 world cup we've had times where you know it's been really really difficult but equally have had some some brilliant moments so i guess it makes you value the, the good moments yeah i mean to all england and leicester fans you're welcome, basically, because the reason I left Leicester, because I, I could see greatness coming through. 2007, 2008, I could see an amazing scrum half coming through. The problem was he had me to play with at 10 to start off with, so I had to leave. I had to leave to let you spread your wings. But I want to talk to you about your first cap. 
because your first cap came against Scotland and it's Jim Hamilton's greatest ever achievement for Scotland. You make your debut. It was a game that was drawn. I expected you to win by about 35, 40 points, but the only time <laughs> Jim's ever come close to, to beating England. Um, do you remember that day? 16 all, yeah. I do remember that day. And um, Ugo obviously went down and then the, the, the cart that came on to take him off ran out of battery. So, uh, so then they, it was bizarre. They had to then push off the buggy. So it was a bit weird. But yeah, I do good. And I come on the wing. And by that point, in a way, coming on the wing kind of took all the pressure off because I wasn't expected to, you know, I never played on the wing. So, and let alone play an international game on the wing. So my, my, my kind of took the pressure. And I just remember Mike Ford sort of being up and down the touchline, screaming at me, trying to get me in position and all that. But luckily there were some old heads out there that kind of put me in the right position. And I didn't have to do too much for 10 minutes, which was which was all right. I pushed the buggy off as well, just because that's what a vice captain does. Just <laughs> looking after the opposition as well. Yeah, I think it was a collision with uh, Kelly Brown. That's right. Yeah. Your relationship with Eddie Jones as well, because it's important that a coach likes you, respects you, and Eddie clearly has that with you. Not the weekend, he didn't start you, but obviously he rates you. I, I say that in, in jest because you did get on and, and break the record. But how do you find that? How, how do you find that relationship with Eddie compared to maybe coaches gone by? Yeah, look, I think with Eddie, like I've, I've always been really clear about, he's been really clear to me what he wants from me and what he expects from me and, and, how, and how I compliment the team in terms of what I can do. That relationship is one where, his knowledge of the game is is exceptional in terms of you know he really buy into about what we want to do how we want to go about it but then he empowers you as a, as a halfback to go and take control of that and go and run with that game plan as such so for me i've always felt very clear about what he wants from me and where i uh, need to deliver for him and, I, and i've enjoyed it i think you know i played probably some of my best rugby under eddie in terms of you know england wise you know I, I, i'm very very grateful that given the adversity of 2015 to then he came in and, and 16 won a Grand Slam, 17 won the Six Nations, but we went on like 18 game. In all those bits, I've got some real good memories, you know, so I feel fortunate that I've, I've, I've had him as a, as a coach during an England period. Is he still giving you chocolates? Because didn't he do, was it sweets or chocolates that he gave you on the first time he met you? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that was the first meeting I had with him ever. So I turned up at Penny Hill and we got a text and they all said, go, go meet Eddie. I'd never met Eddie before. So I knocked on the door, like lads were going in and out and whatever. And I knocked on the, come in. Oh, Benny, how are you? Come take a seat, mate. Oh, nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chatting away, you know, at Leicester and bots and bobs and, you know, I've watched your games and X, Y, Z. And and uh, he was he was very complimentary. I thought, oh, this is going all right. <laughs> this is going all right. And, uh, and he was like, uh, he's like, what do you need to work on? And I was sort of listing a few things. He's like, no, 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 no. And then he just, just uh, chucked me a bag of sweets. He said, mate, you need to lose some weight. You need to stay off these. I said, okay. He goes, I want you at 88 kilos. So uh, he said, I want you to be, you know, zip around a bit more. I want you to be able to zip around for a full 80, not, not 60. So he said, do you want to take the sweets with you? I said, no, I'm all good. He said, that's a great start, mate. <laughs> and that was it, mate. Me done. So yeah, and then the next lad went in. So You drove to the shop to get some instead of taking them off Eddie, right? <laughs> yeah, went, went down the local garage show, comfort eat. <laughs> Trying to work out if the meeting went well or not. Nice. Uh, I want to ask you about Marcus Smith because you played with, uh, obviously, Owen Farrell a hell of a lot at 9 and 10 and George Ford and various different 10s. Now, Marcus Smith uh, seems, from the outside, I don't know the guy, I've met his parents, but he seems like a breath of fresh air in, in terms of ability, in terms of understanding how what his strengths are, how to bring others into the game. He looks unbelievable. Is it How special is it to play with him? Yeah, look, he's the first thing about Marcus, he's a real respectful, like grounded lad. And he's got a real lovely presence and a way about him. You know, the way he works, the way he conducts himself, the way he, he drives the team, but in a very sort of calming, sort of relaxed way. But I think like you touched on Goody, like that's all great. But actually when you break down as a player, mate, he's, he's, he's been very, very exciting to watch. And I think he's, you know, he's just only just starting out. You know, you forget that he's only, he's only sort of come on to the international scene since the summer, you know, it's his first full season of doing it. We all know what he's done at Quinns, but um, I think that one of his greatest gifts is the ability to take on people. You know, he's happy to get the ball out the back of, uh, about out the back of forwards pods and, and go to the line and show, go, use his footwork, take on defenders, try and pick on guys that potentially are a little bit fatigued. And, and I love how he, he really wants to take on the line. Uh, and that creates more space for others, but, you know, it creates a bit of excitement, doesn't it? You just, you, you, he's quite unpredictable in terms of what he does, you know, for him, what he, what he's gonna, what he does is, is, is predictable to him, but unpredictable to others. In, in, if that makes sense, you know, we don't quite know what he's going to do, but he knows what exactly what he's going to do and how he's trying to manipulate defenders. So yeah, he's good mate. And I think he's just, just touching the surface of what he can, uh, what he's going to do. Similar to when we started. 
Exactly right, Goody. <laughs> I was chucking you a paper bag in a hurricane, mate. You were just about catching it. And then. <laughs> and I was running that line and snapping it out the air. <laughs> I love how we're putting ourselves close to you, Youngsy, now that you're still doing it. Uh, let's look forward then. Next couple of games, they are the biggest games. We'll say it. They're the two form teams coming up for England now. It's been a bit kind of bitty, the Six Nations, because there was two games. There was a, a game off and a game and then another week off. So we're now here for, from an England standpoint against the two best teams. Eddie Jones mentioned it. I just saw it flash up before your interv- interview that he thinks Ireland are the form team uh, in the world. I think that that was the, the headline around it. We know that France are in that mix. How do you beat the Irish? Yeah, look, they're, they're definitely in good form. I think uh, their autumn form was great and they've carried that through. They've got a lot of cohesion. Like, you know, a lot of those guys play regularly together at Leinster. You know, that's something as an England team, whenever we come together, that, that you have to work on because ultimately we... We all got different clubs and, and, and philosophies and all that and come together where they're quite consistent in terms of how they get that. But this weekend is, is going to be a great challenge for us. You know, I look at, you know, there's certain games you, you play or you build up to in your career and you know you've got to find a bit more as a team. And I think this week's one of those weeks. This is a huge game in terms of we've got to find a bit more because if we don't, you know, Ireland, Ireland, Ireland will um, will fancy their chances and can cause a serious, tr- uh, serious problem. So... You know, this week is all a bit a bit of an edge to training, a bit of extra, find a bit more, boys, because we need to be our absolute best. We need to find our best form to get the result of the weekend. And, and that bit of fear, that bit of I know, apprehension, I guess, I, I believe is, is a good thing. And it kind of just focuses the mind a little bit. So we'll, we'll have to bring it on Saturday for sure. And two guys that obviously you know pretty well from your time with England, Andy Farrell and Mike Catt, are going to have fairly big impacts on the team you're playing against this weekend. You're expecting... Any rabbits pulled out the hat by Catty and some various different moves? Yeah, Catty's a smart guy. Like uh, I really enjoyed Catty when he was when he was here at, at England. And um, their attack, they're moving the ball nicely. They've got quite a structured way of how they attack in terms of their pod systems and all that. But they move it nice. They've got good distributors, good good people making decisions there. So yeah, he he'll be looking to exploit us without doubt, and he'll have a couple of I'm sure starter plays. A bit like Joe Schmidt was, you know. There's always a couple of variations they do subtleties. You know, obviously Paul O'Connor's there now doing the line out and that's, um, you know, that's a big area where they're, where they're strong as well. So, yeah, it, it makes for a, a bit of a tactical game, you know, in terms of, of, of how that's done, you know, trying to unpick their their attack. You know, defence-wise, we know that they're, they're pretty aggressive. So I, th- I think it makes for a great test match. And like I say, I, I think the good thing is for us, we just, we know we've got to find a bit more and we haven't hit our our best yet, certainly in the tournament. And, you know, if we'll, we'll need to do it this Saturday. We, we'll need to. Youngsy, we've spoken about Anton Dupont. I know in a couple of weeks' time, hopefully you'll be up against him. How good is this lad? I mean, it's amazing to think that you're now... I will see you as a young lad, is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, <laughs> you're one of the elder statesmen in the England team and potentially be up against someone like Anton Dupont. How good is this player? Because I watched him live against Scotland and he looked unbelievable in terms of where you see a player of that quality in the world at the minute. He's exceptional, mate. He really is. You know, I think certain players come along and for me, Will Genya was one of the greatest nines, in my opinion. He came in, he changed the way the nines play, you know, that way he tacked around the ruck and I really studied him and I, I, and I really sort of was in awe of how he played the game. And, and, and but I feel like DuPont's come in and he's... He's now taking the game to another level in terms of how nines play, but not just that. Like it's, it's the way he he creates space. It's the way he's so compact and strong, mate. Like you know, you see some of the tackles he breaks, and you think he's got no right to do that. It's like a he's like he's almost like a compact twelve, you know, that you'd use almost like for a crash ball playing nine. But he's got all the subtleties, left foot, right foot, all the distribution and all that. But yet, unbelievably powerful and abrasive at the same time. So. Rightly so, you know, World Player of the Year. And, and I, I think, you know, where this guy's end product is, I've got no idea. But uh, maybe when he, when he really hits his peak, it will be very, very scary. Very, very scary. No, you've got no doubt you'll bang him out next week. So uh, let's get the victory against <laughs> Ireland and then go, <laughs> go over to France and take it as well, mate. All right, Ben, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for coming on the show and best of luck this weekend at Twickenham. Cheers, lads. Take care. I'll see you soon. Top man. Really appreciate it. Awesome, Yogsy. Thanks. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. 
Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Top, Top lad. lad. Yeah, he really is. Really is. 115 caps plus. Mate, he's, he's a great guy. And I love how relaxed he is. He's not scared to tell the old uh, sick-in-the-bag story that... You brought up last week, Jim. I love that about Youngsy. He's very down to earth. Obviously, a phenomenal career so far. Still plenty of mileage left in it, but it is like he's still the young kid at Leicester, isn't it, Jim? That's the thing. I, I, I know. It, it's. I suppose it is one of them. I'm not that old myself. I'm not 40 yet, but that's when I mentioned the DuPont thing. It's weird seeing DuPont as a young lad when I still see Youngsy as a young lad. And I also love how my association, so if anyone says Ben Youngs, I'd be like, I know him. Ow. <laughs> Threw his bag of sick out the window on the bus. It went all over me. <laughs> I noticed, though, he told the truth about that story, though. He said you wore all the sick, whereas last week when you told the story, you were like, it was over everyone but me. Funny thing is, I remember getting off the bus and we weren't that keen to rip shirts. We were just ripping curtains down. But in order to get off the bus, <laughs> you needed both your back pockets ripped straight down to the floor. And uh, so, you, I mean, most of us had decent jeans. If you had Levi's jeans on, you could barely do it, but you were dragging them out. And your shirt needed to be ripped open. Is that when you wore the G-Stars? They were the G-Stars, mate. <laughs> they were the G-Stars. And I don't think we had any shoes on as we walked off. And the curtains had been ripped down. And the toilet had been that far kicked in by Abo that you could see the motorway as it was dragging. And <laughs> I mean, idiots, but absolutely legendary. We've chatted about the game, so we'd better get your predictions in for the Guinness Match Pint Predictor as well. If you want to join in at home, it isn't too late. All you need to do is download the Match Pint app, join our league with the code RugbyPod, and get your predictions in to win free pints and other great prizes as well. Let's start off with Wales v France. France by four. Really? Yeah, I think Wales will play really well and... It'll be close, hence the four points. <laughs> Correct, James. I know, but I think that this French team, having seen them live, looking at the way they're playing, unbeatable, unplayable, but I think that Wales will give them hell. If Scott Quinnell was there, definitely. Yeah, I don't think any team's unbeatable, Jim, especially in rugby, but they're as close as France will ever get to being unbeatable. Um, I'm going to go France by eight. All right, and Goody, you can go first with the next one, Italy v Scotland. Ha, oh, mate, it's the wooden spoon decider, isn't it? You know, the classic Six Nations game that everyone looks forward to. Normally it's on the last weekend because everyone knows it'll be 5th v 6th and the wooden spoon battle. Historically, Jim Hamilton played in many of these games. Just give us the bloody score. <laughs> I think Scotland have got a bit too much class. You know, we said it before, we talked about it. They, they shouldn't be troubled by this Italian team at the minute. Italy getting better. I'm going to go Scotland by 15. <gasps> oh, I put Scotland by 13 and I'll stick with it. And the big one to round out the weekend, England v Ireland. It's tough on this because your heart wants England to win. My head's saying Ireland are ridiculously good. I just think the Twickenham factor and the fact that I'll have had that much Guinness and Blackcurrant all week should just sway it towards England. England by one point I'm going to go with. Marcus Smith to nail the winner. Genuinely? Yeah, I've got a back England, haven't I? Come on, England. My head's probably saying Ireland by six, but... I'm going to go England by one. I'll go Ireland by six then. <laughs> <laughs> you mug. All right, well, should we have a look at the Premiership now then? Bath, two in a row. They've uh, come back from 21-0 down to beat Bristol. You said it, 21-0 down. And you are thinking 50, 60 points until Nalango on my red card again. Is that his second? Yeah. It is his second. Exactly the same tackle. 
flying in. Boom! Surprise. I'm going to say something here. Again, we're not looking to upset the fish cart, but that is because he is out and out power. If that's me in that position, I'm probably getting sat down. (laughs) If I'm an adjusting defender like that and step back in, most people are probably getting sat down. I mean, he knows because he's got history. And it is a hard tackle. And there's a load of tackles that we've seen this weekend. Andrew, I know you've highlighted a couple on social media. That is the hardest tackle because you're an adjusting defender. And I saw Benny Kay actually, probably similar to myself, in terms of power and frame as it is now, which is minimal. Mm. Talking about how you deal with a tackle like that. And you've got to do the classic Jim Hamilton tackle, which is concede, which is literally (laughs) fall on your back. But I suppose when you're that powerful and... We've seen in years gone by the, the the guys from Samoa, Tonga, and Fiji. They can bang. They can tackle. They can generate power like no other human. And do I feel for Nalango? No, because he's got history and we can't tackle like that. Is it a difficult thing for them to do or him to do? Clearly, because it's his second red card. So my point being, that was the change in the game. Bristol's 21-0 up. A couple of yellow cards. Job's over. You can't make any excuse for Nalango there. But to be fair to Bath, starting to get a bit of confidence. De Glanville at fullback played really well. Joe Cock and a singer, or Joe Cock and a cigar, however you want to say it. He's back. Looks big. Might have to shift a little bit to get back in Eddie Jones's team after we heard what Ben Young's just said. But yeah, listen, they've got all the makings there of a decent outfit. And they've obviously, they've been ravaged by injury. Sam Underhill came back at the weekend and played. So yeah, massive victory for Bath in terms of the local rivalry. Bristol and Bath, though, the seasons are done, aren't they? I can't see how... I suppose Bristol are playing now to get in the top eight to try and qualify for the Champions Cup next year, but they'll be devastated losing to their nearest and dearest in the, the with the last play of the game. But credit to Bath and um, you know some of those youngsters. Jim, where were your loyalties for Saracens when over Leicester? I've got no doubt. There's one team. There's only one team that bought him a one-bedroom flat on the uh, outskirts of Luton just overlooking the M1. Hey, if you knew what Leicester <laughs> did for me. You said five grand was your first contract. Yeah, they also, Joe Hollis, the team manager, bought me a pair of Copper Mondials for training as well. So... <laughs> Is that part of the salary cap or not? Whoa. Whoa, 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 don't go there. I'm putting myself in the mix again. I like this, eh? Amongst the scandal of Saracens, I was brought into the mix. Leicester, Jim Hamilton was bought a pair of Copper Mondials. Uh, let's just say I was sponsored by Adidas. Good game. Enjoyed it. Physical. Two teams that I like. And I wasn't supporting either, really. It was interesting, actually, looking at Leicester because they've struggled in years gone by. Obviously, at Saracens, they're a different team now. And there's a Saracens kind of look to the Leicester team, isn't there, with Borthers and uh, Wigglesworth being on the bench and coming on as well, and the way that they play physically, both physical teams, route one, more into the cow sheds and back, and I enjoyed it. The, the big one was the Muramuravalu yellow card, which resulted in not just a try, but a yellow card, and Loza slotted it from the halfway line, and a good game. I think I, I mentioned both teams well-matched. Huge win for Saracens. Good to see Mark McCall back on the touchline, with Saracens and doing the interview after, you know, back where he belongs, really. And we we hope everything's fine with him going forward as well. But we've got two quality teams that are definitely going to be in the top four, in my opinion. I enjoyed it. One for the purest. It was a good game. Really good. Saracens played some really good stuff. I've got to say, though, you've got to talk about Greg Maxwell-Keys. Saracens gave away a ridiculous amount of penalties. He didn't get his yellow card out. They were all very different penalties, but it was all pressure. So he should have had a yellow card for that. That's the first thing. The second thing... Ala Davis, that is a red card every day of the week in terms of the tackle. He's flown out the line. People said, oh, the mitigation was George Ford stepping. Watch the video. He hardly steps. The amount he deviates from his position is millimetres. right? And, and this is where World Rugby have got to make a stance. And what they're trying to do is get and prevent people like Ala Davis from flying out the line, which is what he did, tried to fly out the line to put huge pressure on George Ford. And then you're upright and the, there's head contact. The only issue there is Alec Davis has flown off the line to try and put pressure on someone and then he's got his technique completely wrong because there's a step, a minute step at the last minute. And so I don't think there was ever enough mitigation. That's a red card, should have been, 100%. Thirdly, the neck roll on Billy Vanapola by Callum Green, to me that's probably a red card as well. You know, you talk about head contact, neck contact, the actual head roll, neck roll, it was ridiculous. And they've looked at it and gone, oh, it's just a penalty. That's never just a penalty. So he got that wrong as well. And then the last thing... If you have a look, 75 minutes in, and Leicester, it doesn't really matter because they're top of the league, but if you're a team somewhere else, you'd pick this up. 75 minutes into the game, Alan Davis does a box kick that goes a metre forwards. 
The scoreline at the time is 29-27 to Saracens. And Alan Davis puts the box kick up. All the forwards are within that 10-metre circle. And he doesn't give a penalty for it. It should have been a penalty to Leicester. Off the back of it, they get the ball back, Saracens. Do another kick. Sean Maitland chases it. They win the ball back. Play a few phases. Get a penalty kick to the corner. Get their bonus point try. So, you know, as much as it was a great game and Saracens deserved to win, there were some big things that Craig Maxwell-Keys got wrong, I think. You are bloody wasted. Andrew, you are wasted doing this podcast. Maybe I should be a TMO. <laughs> I'll see it all. Why don't you do that? You'd be suited to that role. Or even a sharping commission. <laughs> I could see you doing that. I mean, tell the biscuits that the biscuits will get hammered every week, so maybe not. Well, while we've got the sighting commissioner on the line, uh, Vandermeuver, do you think his red card and Worcester's defeat to London Irish is going to cost him a spot against Italy this weekend? The Vandermeuver clip that comes out, if you look at the comments and look at the interaction, I've mentioned social media the last few weeks, that is a snapshot of where we are now with rugby in terms of people's opinions and the way that they voice their opinions or use their fingers to voice their opinions. It's just, I, I just didn't even bother commenting. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what's the point? I mean, firstly, do you want my opinion, whether or not it's a red card? Yeah. No, it's not it's, it's not a forearm, is it? It's a hand. I'd say it's a clumsy hand. I'd say it's a yellow card. I'd say it's a little bit reckless. Has he got history of doing that? No. You know, he knows he's playing for Worcester. No disrespect to Worcester. They're poo, right? They're playing for Worcester <laughs> on a fallow week. He's got two internationals lined up. Like, he ain't thinking, I'm going into this game. I tell you what, I'm going to absolutely monster someone. You know, Carl Rowe. I'm going to absolutely monster. If he's coming close to me, he's thinking, he's coming towards me. I'm going to hand him off. That's what he's thinking. Mate, Scotland winger on Scotland winger though, wasn't it? Well, Scott, I mean, but two very different Scotland wingers in terms of profile. Duan van der Merwe's our best player. Duan van der Muck Merwe is our best player. He's been red carded. What can you say? I mean, it'd be interesting to see what the sighting commissioner, Goody, <laughs> see what they come out with of all this. But I, my, my point being, just because he doesn't have history and just because it is a Six Nations are irrelevant. But my point is, from Duan van der Merwe's perspective, he's not a dirty player. He's an absolute monster. He's just, it's just kind of, he's gone for the big handoff, hasn't he? That's it. That's what he's gone on. Yeah, I'm with you, Jim. I don't think it's a red. I think it's a yellow. It's very similar to Finn Russell's one against France in the Six Nations. And I said at the time, I don't think that's a red card. You know, uh, there's a di very big difference between leading with your elbow with force to what Van der Merwe did. And I get the framework of he's, he's caught his face with his forearm a little bit, but it's it's more of a, he's trying to push him off and his forearms just made contact with the face. So You could say it was a high tackle. It shouldn't be there. So is he playing against Italy? I hope so. Yes. I hope they see sense with that. I don't think there's maximum force there. I don't think, you know, there's no intent to go lead with the elbow or the forearm. It's just unfortunate. So, uh, yeah, I'd have given a yellow card because you follow that framework and there is head contact. There, you know, it is minimal force and it's accidental. But what do I know? Jim, what's going on with the URC? There were a few hammerings over the weekend, weren't there? Oh, my pants down everywhere. Oh, did you enjoy it, Andy Rowe? Do you enjoy I loved every second of it. There was pants down, aka lots of tries, if you want to look at it like that. Dragons, skids. Oh, my skids. Oh, my God. Dragons. <laughs> I mean, oh, I feel awful because I've got a few mates involved there. Why would you? <laughs> Dean Ryan's probably going to fill me in for saying this because he's the head coach there and he's the most successful Scotland coach we've had in the professional era. And I like him a lot. And it was a big call for him to go there, in my opinion. He's apparently re-signing and he quote-unquote said that they're definitely going in the right direction. These things might be right, but the proof's in the pudding and the results that we're seeing and they ain't getting the results. And this is the thing around the Welsh regions and we can maybe touch on the Cardiff game as well if you want, but this is the issue, isn't it? It's all about the internationals. It's not necessarily about the regional teams and Scarlet's are different. Scarlet's beat Glasgow. They've had a load of injuries and they've got players coming back. But I'll go back to it. Why would you? Munster are a good team, as we know. Physical, great profile in terms of the players that they've got. We know that the internationals wouldn't have been playing. But yeah, so that was one game anyway, is what I'm trying to say. Edinburgh dominated Connacht, who are normally pretty good, to be fair. And they went 8-0 up and we were thinking, here we go, going to be a good game. But Edinburgh just got on the front foot. Blair Kinghorn, I mentioned at 10, was brilliant. A couple of lads in the back row were excellent as well. Ben Muncaster at number eight, young lad. 20 years old coming through. A couple of Argentinian lads that are carving up as well in Majano and Buffelli. Uh, they've got experience at scrum half, Henry Pergos and Ben Velicott as well. Two quality scrum halves. They're doing well. Edinburgh doing well. Hashtag always. 
Hashtag always. In the shadows of the Six Nations. And the music was good as well. That's a big play for the URC. Yeah, music. Yeah. music was good. It was on <laughs> point at half time. <laughs> well, quick question, Jim. You live in Edinburgh. Edinburgh playing at home, but you got sent to the Scarlets. How does that work? Because John Barkley refuses to go anywhere outside his postcode unless he's paid copious amounts of money, whereas I'm oh. doing it for the people. We are a man of the people. You're in Scarlets. What happened there? Oh, absolute classic. Absolute <laughs> classic. And I feel for Scarlets because I like Dwayne Peel. I was on the Barbarians tour with him. Great man. Did really well at Ulster. He's gone back to Scarlets, taken that job, and they've had a load of injuries. They've lost, you know, two of their best players have been injured. Reese Patchell, who was back at 10, and Scott Williams in the centre, who, in my opinion, should be there or thereabouts for Wales as captain. Not of Wales, but he's the captain of Scarlets. Glasgow started good. And I was watching it and you could see, and I was with Sean Holly, who's brilliant on comms, uh, really funny guy as well. You were looking at Scarlet's, it was like they're low on confidence. And then it clicked in the second half. Sione Calamaphoni, former teammate of mine at Gloucester and Leicester. They've got Sam Lousey as well. Second row has been red carded more than me, but is a quality player. Aaron <laughs> Shingler, come on, did really well for them. And my point being, something snapped or something snapped into place for the Scarlet's against Glasgow in that second half. And... I'm, I'm pleased for them because it looks tough. The regions are getting a hard time. And uh, it was a big one against Glasgow, who, who are third in the league. Right, well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, yeah, a few bits of good this week. We're going to start off in your area of the world, Andy Rowe. Oh. Down in New Zealand. Damon McKenzie gets a mention of the good this week. Got a hat-trick and 31 points. I say your area of the world. He was playing in Japan. Uh, it's close enough, but he's a Kiwi. For Tokyo, Sungoliath against the Kobe Steelers. The Fijian Drua boys got their first ever Super Rugby win with a 31-26 victory over the Melbourne Rebels. So a massive shout out to those boys. Poe, I mean Poe, I mean Poe. Jim. Didn't say it. What happened? They beat Bordeaux away from home, who are top of the table, 23 points to 16. So uh, a big shout out to Poe and Poe and Poe, whoever they are. Outstanding work from those boys. What else is good? Munster. Got their second biggest ever victory in the URC, pulling the Dragons' pants down, 64 points to three. Pretty good day at the office for the Munster boys. Bath, get a mention in the good this week as well. They came off the bottom of the Premiership. They've had loads of games this year where they've had their pants pulled down themselves and they've been beaten last minute, beaten comfortably. They've basically had loads of defeats, but fair play, they bounced back. They were 21-0 down. They're off the bottom of the Premiership now with their first derby win over Bristol in three years. So uh, I bet there were some beers sunk on Saturday evening down in Bath. A few other bits of good. We're going to mention Edinburgh Gym, hashtag always. It was their second biggest ever win in the URC as well. And it wasn't against Zebra or Benetton. It was against a decent team, as you said, Connacht. Eight tries and Buffelli kicked all eight conversions. So a hell of an effort from the Edinburgh boys. What else is good? We're going to mention three players. It's really difficult, really difficult to pick out the good this week. We're going to start off with Jacques Vermeulen. He's had 10 months out with double hamstring operations. And then he, in his first game back for Exeter, had a hell of a game, scores two tries as they beat Sale 19 points to 12. So massive shout out to Jacques Vermeulen, friend of the show as well. Lewis Rees Abbott is going to get a mention of the good this week. His try with the first touch after coming on, uh, ridiculous wheels as well. Dan Bigger tried to touch him, got nowhere near him. And he skinned someone else as well. So he looks ridiculously quick. So a hell of an effort from him. Uh, but the good this week is going to go to a team in defeat. And it's going to go to Northampton Saints. Not because they lost, but purely because I think they've scored what is or could be the try of the season. Tom Collins' try for the Saints against Gloucester. Length of the field effort. Absolutely ridiculous. When you want to see something good, if you're in a bad mood, put that on. Probably not the Gloucester defence coach, but... Absolute skill from the Saints boys. Tom Collins' try for Saints against Gloucester gets the good this week. Uh, the bad, few bits of bad. Biritz lost 45-17 at home to Toulon. And they're bottom of the top 14 now. A pretty harrowing loss at home for them. Uh, some of the thrashings in the URC have to get a mention. Cardiff lost 48-12 at Ulster. Benetton lost 61 points to 17 at home to Leinster. Connacht got hammered 56 points to 8 at Edinburgh. What's going on in the URC? Just pants down, skid marks everywhere. Just a tri-fest. It is a tri-fest, or it's a pants down fest. You choose. But the bad this week has to go to the recycler and his defensive efforts for the Dragons. Luke Narraway is the defensive coach. Their biggest ever defeat in the URC. They lost 64 points to 3 at Munster. And that's now 10 games in a row without a victory in all competitions since early October. So not good for the Dragons. They get the bad this week. And then the ugly, only one real bit of ugly, and we spoke about it earlier. Siva Naolango's red card. He was banned for three weeks 
after his red card against London Irish last month. So I think a, a pretty decent ban is coming for him. Maybe a six-weeker for this tackle. Same scenario. Flies in. Too high. Shoulder to the face with a lot of power. Siva now, Lango, you get the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yes, yeah, a sad one, this one. And we are sending huge condolences to the Pelledri family after the news of the passing of 24-year-old Sam this week. He's the younger brother of Gloucester's Jake Pelledri, friend of the show. And a massive hole has been left in the hearts and minds of everyone who met him or knows the Pelledri family as well as the Southwest rugby community who will miss him sorely. Rest in peace, Sam the man. Yeah, I thought so with the Pelledri family and everyone who knew Sam. Uh, also, a shout out to Joe Sentence as well, uh, who's been doing great work teaming up with a local Polish club in Balham to set up a donation centre for the effort in Ukraine with everything going on there. They're collecting medical supplies and battery packs to send out to those in need, and they've recruited 300 volunteers and shipped over 1,000 cubic metres of aid already. So... A fantastic effort from Joe Sentence. And uh, if you want to get involved, just look up Joe if you're in the Balham area and want to donate or help as well. Yeah, well done, Joe. We've also got a good look as well to Stuart Thorne, who's attempting to run five marathons in five days in Northern Ireland between the 12th and the 16th of March. He's been joined by former Scotland captain Budge Pountney, and they're raising money for the My Name's Doddy Foundation. And I've seen visuals, I've seen pictures of Budge Pountney trying to run, and it ain't pretty. So <laughs> I can't imagine it's going to come natural or easy for them. So big shout out to you, Budge. Good on you, Scotland legend, and what you're doing for My Name's Doddy Foundation. As we know, we've spoken about them here loads. It's uh, it's an amazing cause. Yeah, good luck to Stuart and Budge. Uh, one final shout out as well to Sheffield Rugby Club's first team tight head prop, Tommy Marples, who ran out for his 400th game for the club recently and scored his 30th try for them. A bit like your strike record, that, Jim. Well, I'm just looking at that. I'm just looking at the numbers. Yeah, they marry up. <laughs> Tommy, a.k.a. Fats, has played at Sheffield since he was 19 years of age uh, and he's a club legend. So well done on your 400th game, Tommy, and hopefully there's a few more to come as well. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Tristan, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod.